Talk Money is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. <coughs> For updates, further breakdowns, and past episodes of this podcast, sign up at thetalkmoney.com. If you enjoy our podcast, help us get the word out. Write a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to help us reach more ears. And now you can sign up for our newsletter, where we curate the best money topics of the week from across the internet. It's quick, informative, and most importantly, fun. Sign up at thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Talk Money Weekly, where we talk about current business events paired with our newsletter. Today's episode, the U.S.'s trillion-dollar disaster in Afghanistan. If you've been watching the news, you obviously know that there's a shitstorm going on in Afghanistan right now. The U.S. are pulling out. The Biden administration is under a ton of pressure. There's tens of thousands of people trying to leave the country or at least to have left the country. No one knows what's going on. Taliban are like, we're back in power. U.S. is like, shit, shit, shit. This is not going well. I wanted to cover this because I think it's obviously a humanitarian issue. It's an international policy issue. It's also like a defense issue. But it's also an economic issue. You have trillions of dollars that have been spent on this war. You have billions of dollars in military equipment. You have billions of dollars in drug trade and revenue to the Taliban. All this stuff has been going on over the past 20 years, and what do we have to show for it? It's quite unfortunate. So we start off this episode with an interview that I did with my sister, Leonie Lacani, who's been an international journalist and correspondent with CNN and TRT for the last 20 years, and she's covered this region. And I was actually calling her to do some fact-checking, and then I ended up just recording our conversation because I wanted to have some context, and she did a great job explaining some things. And then I go on and explain a lot of the economics behind all this. So let's get into the interview. Hello. My name is Leonie, and I happen to be Misha's sister, but also I'm a journalist who's worked around the world for a long, long time, more than two decades, and I've worked very heavily in this region as well. Great. And so one of the reasons why I called you is to do some fact-checking, and you know, I wanted to talk about Afghanistan. There's obviously a lot of different opinions and points of view going around. But I just wanted to start off with like a basic history of how we got here. A lot of the stuff I speak about is more from like an economic standpoint and following the money trails. But it's good to have the context of why we were there in the first place or why the U.S. was there in the first place. So if you could kind of just walk us through like post 9-11, the U.S. go into Afghanistan what was the reasoning behind that? And now 20 years later, what was the purpose of occupying Afghanistan? So after the 9-11 attacks, which not only shocked the United States, but everybody around the world, the U.S. wanted to go after the perpetrators of the attack, and they blamed the Taliban for what happened. You know, we also know that they, of course, went into Iraq as well. But Afghanistan happened right after 9-11, there's a lot of talk about bin Laden and the Taliban, and we've got to go after them. For the United States, a lot of what motivates the U.S. in terms of national security is anything to do with terrorism. And so the aim was to get rid of the Taliban so they would not pose another threat to the United States. So over the past 20 years, we've seen them in Afghanistan trying to do that. And we did see, you know, Taliban 
dissipating to an extent. We didn't hear about them for a while, but they started coming back and then we heard about other groups like ISIS or the Khalifat. So over the years, what they've been trying to do is basically try to get out. So what they've tried to do is help to build the country, help to train the troops, give them whatever they need in terms of military equipment and training and try and build the government so they could step out. I think what the criticism was over the past 20 years is how they went about doing it. You always say the U.S. is good at maybe wars, but not necessarily building pieces because that takes nation building, that takes building institutions and things like that. And in a place like Afghanistan, which is extremely tribal, very complex, has always been a difficult place for everybody, Ottomans, British, whoever's tried to do anything there, they've always come across those kinds of challenges. So Americans also face those kinds of challenges. So as they left, the question was, they came in to tackle the Taliban, they've left, and basically there's a Taliban government in there. So was it a success or not? There are lots of people who are like, the U.S. troops had to leave at some point. They couldn't be there forever. So it's not a question of whether they had to leave. There are lots of Afghans who would have agreed with that. The question was how they decided to leave. And to the point of the U.S. has not really been good at war, besides, I guess, a World War II, but that was more of a, hey, we've come late to the party, save the day type of thing. What has happened previously? Like, it didn't really work out in Vietnam. It didn't really work out in Afghanistan. It hasn't worked out in Iraq. But we're talking, like, Korea. And we're talking about, like, trillions upon trillions of dollars spent on this failed strategy that they keep repeating. And so why do you think they keep doing that? I mean, obviously, there's many people who would know far better than me on this. But it seems more like because the goals are different for the United States. So the goal for the United States is always how do we tackle the terror threat? You know, so were they able to tackle the terror threat? To an extent, yes, because we saw the Taliban dissipate for a while. They've come back now, as we can see. But so it's always that rather than the human rights issues. And that's something that's a criticism from other countries sometimes. It's like the U.S. is always focusing on terrorism But the human rights aspect is also important, building nations, building institutions and countries so they can stand on their own. So, you know, there's some people who are like, you had to rip off the Band-Aid with Afghanistan because it's it's always going to be chaos. The question is, how do you and when do you do that, right? So they were in the middle of negotiations um, with the Taliban on a power-sharing government. Is that the time that you announce you're going to withdraw troops? So it's just more about the hows and the nuances. It's never going to be an easy process in any country, and especially in a place like Afghanistan that's so tribal. But I think Afghanistan specifically is going to be a different, separate case just because of how different it is on its own. It's just one of those places that always seems to have some kind of a vacuum. I think another interesting part is that part of the world seems to have a ton of corruption or any developing country. I mean, there's corruption everywhere, but you know, there's organized corruption and then there's straight up in this case, hey, let's spend a bunch of money training folks. Let's give them a bunch of money to like potentially set up this puppet government to take over when we're gone. And then the moment they're gone or the US is gone, these folks kind of like, okay, let's just take this money and leave. Yeah. And now leave our country. Where do you think that stems from? I think any country that's got power vacuums, right? So any country that doesn't have proper institutions, it's not only in that part of the world. You see it in, you know, some Western places as well. Anywhere there's no proper institutions where people can be held accountable, 
where you've got courts that hold people accountable, those kinds of places, there's always going to be some form of people taking advantage of the system. I think with Afghanistan, the additional thing was, once again, you're putting in people from outside or like you say, puppet government, even if they were Afghans who came back to Afghanistan, they weren't seen as people who were from Afghanistan. They were seen as Americans who came back to Afghanistan. So if you've got governments run by those people, they're not going to be able to succeed in a country like Afghanistan. And that, again, was another one of the criticisms. So if you're trying to, if you're a country from the outside trying to build this nation, but then you're kind of telling them what they should do, they should vote for this guy or this guy should be our guy and that kind of thing, that's not going to work in a place like that. It has to come from the ground up, always, in every country. And during this whole time this was happening, Everyone thinks, oh, the Taliban are gone. We got rid of the Taliban. We're winning the war against terror. These guys are just hanging out in their caves and they're building quite a massive business for themselves, aren't they? Yeah. The the drug trade, I think it's in the billions, isn't it? Yeah. So the money, they were quietly building up their funds and they're also building up their PR in a sense. So has the Taliban changed or not? Whether they've changed or not, they've seemed to have like an entire PR crew out there. They've amassed a lot of money. They've been training. And then the concern is it's not just the Taliban. So, you know, there's a concern about other groups seeing this as a success, like other, you know, terrorist groups seeing this as a success and whether this empowers them to try and follow the same model kind of thing. So, yeah, they've been amassing a lot of cash on this side. And now they have cash, they have organization, they have more people, and they have an equally weak government that they can just overthrow and they have hundreds of millions of dollars in u.s equipment so you one could say that they've actually come up on top yeah it's a little scary um for the people on the ground is the taliban considered a terrorist organization or is it factions of them that become terrorists because i think this is the confusing thing like are the taliban just like a authoritarian you know government who have just backwards views but are not necessarily terrorists, but there are folks of the Taliban that, that go and like become and join terrorist groups, or is, are they one and the same? So I think it's a good question um, in terms of how do you define terrorism or terrorist groups? Like how, when do you call someone a terrorist or call a group a terrorist? It's basically the main line is about the violence aspect. So you could have very conservative views ultra-conservative views in any religion or any political, you know, faction. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're a terrorist. The terrorism part is a violence part. So when people use that and then try to reach their means by using violence. So that's how you define it. Um, for the U.S., it's a terrorist group. For many other countries, it's a terrorist group because of the, the types of actions they may have called for. Now, the new Taliban, they're trying to say that we're different. We are, you know, going to be all-encompassing. We're going to be, you know, involving the whole country and the government. We've changed. We're new. So that's a question of whether they really are. You know, there's this one thought that, you know, there might be some of the leadership that think differently. But at the end of the day, they've got lots of foot soldiers. And can they really control those foot soldiers who have those very, very strong views very primal views. And to cap this off, what do you think is the most important thing for us to be observing in the next 
couple of months to see. Obviously, we have a massive refugee crisis that's happening. But other than that, you know, what are the important things for us to witness like that would potentially change the outcome of the region or like make this a continuing threat for the U.S. where they they've now pulled out, but they've realized like, okay, this is still a massive threat to us. And what do we do about this? Yeah. So that's something the U.S. will definitely be watching because, like I say, it's not just the Taliban. It's like other groups who could take advantage of the situation. So I think the main question is going to be how the Taliban deals with this. Have they really changed at all? So if they're in power, now they're in charge of keeping law and order on the ground. It's their responsibility to do that. So everyone's going to have all eyes on them. They don't want to look like they don't have control. So we might actually see them trying to bring some form of control soon. Whether they've actually changed on their views and how they treat, you know, we hear a lot about women's rights. It's not just the women, it's the minorities, it's the different tribes. There are many, many different issues to watch when it comes to how they, they behave. So the main question is going to be watching the Taliban and seeing how they behave. And then I think the world will decide. Leonie, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, brother. <laughs> so I want to thank my sister, Leonie Lacani for doing that interview with me. You can find her on Twitter, at Leonie Lacani. And now I'm going to jump into the money side of things and, and dive into the economic impact of all of this. Well, you know, it's interesting. So the U.S. goes into Afghanistan 20 years ago. And what you see is like you're spending a ton, like we're talking about trillions of dollars over the course of the next 20 years, nation building, which is we're supposed to like build infrastructure and government and checks and balances. Here's the thing. You can't just like put those things into place. Like everybody needs to be a part of that. Everybody needs to be wanting to do that in these areas where there are power vacuums. So now you've taken out the Taliban and you have a power vacuum. The same thing happened in Iraq when you essentially take out the dictator. There's a power vacuum where everybody wants a peace at this point and no one can agree on anything. And so you have a ton of corruption and you have at the end of the day, the people that were suffering in the first place might be suffering a little less, but they're still suffering. And so the Taliban, look, man, these guys are like from the fucking mountains and shit. Like they were fighting the Russians in the mountains, getting rid of them where they go back to the mountains. Like it's like them just going home for the summer, except the summer is 20 years where they're like, Hey, what should we do? Let's go like make a bunch of money. Even though we said that we were going to burn all the poppy fields back in the day, this is our chance. Like we have no other option, but to like rebuild. So we have a ton of time now to rebuild where they did two things. They started developing a business and revenue and that revenue came from drug trade. So like the opium trade and the numbers, it's kind of like from what I've read, everything from the Wall Street Journal to Reuters, it's like anywhere from tens of millions of dollars to like billions of dollars. And so the range I'm seeing is like $300 million to $2 billion in sales from like drug trade. You know, hey, that's why people get into that business. It's quite lucrative. And at the same time, they're doing other things. I read in the Wall Street Journal in 2020, they're selling onyx marble and gold and rare earth minerals. Like they're in the mountains. They're in these areas. They're like, hey, let's just build a business and we'll build a distribution system. We have now the internet and we have social media and we have all these like private channels. We can actually start recruiting and like getting our message across. So if anything, they're doing quite well. And Afghanistan is just not really 
move the needle, right? Because you still have the people being put in place are just not people that are, they don't care enough. Like they're still technically Americans that are being put into power. The same thing happened in Iran during the Iranian revolution when, you know, the Shah was overtaken and the U.S. and the West had put the Shah in place of General Mossadegh, who was actually uh, democratically elected in Iran, who was trying to nationalize Iranian oil and take it away from being, you know, purged by the British. The British didn't want that. They asked for the U.S. to get involved. The government was overthrown. It was a very sad day for Iran. They were on this, like, real great road for progression. And then, you know, this fucking wealthy Shah is put in place who, like, doesn't really care, is very weak, and, like, nobody can get behind that. And then that's the perfect person to overthrow because it's, like, Puppet governments are exactly what they sound like. Without the actual strings, the person pulling the strings, the puppet collapses. There's nothing holding that puppet in place. And so it just doesn't work. The strategy doesn't work, and it's just sad. And now we have this big power vacuum that's happening in Afghanistan right now. So we have trillions of dollars of U.S. money spent that hasn't really gone to much. We have billions of dollars spent on military equipment that was supposed to go to the Afghan forces that basically handed that over to the Taliban because the Taliban comes in. They're pretty organized. They're like, hey, guys, uh, I'm sure it kind of went like this. Uh, you're going to die or you're going to give us your stuff and we're taking over. And then you got to imagine there's corruption involved here. It's like a lot of these people are like, okay, we can just take our money and go. So like a lot of these executives, people in power bounced with money. So like all that U.S. money has gone into their pockets. They don't give a fuck about their people. They're gone. And so the Taliban come in and the Taliban like we're taking over. Oh, by the way, not only do we have money from all the business that we were making, not only do we have more people, but now we're going to take all your fucking tanks, your weapons, your choppers, whatever was left over is now in their control. And the U.S., is getting out. And look, the thing is like the U S couldn't be there forever. It doesn't make sense for them to be uh, there forever. I get the humanitarian thing. It's something that I hundred percent support that we should all as a, a world, both private public money, whatever you want to call it should be supporting a humanitarian crisis. But for the U S as a government, when you think from like the standpoint of like U S tax dollars, it can't really be spent nation building. Like, is that really supporting defense? So now you have this humanitarian crisis where like everyone is like, fuck that. I don't want the Taliban back in because, you know, the Taliban are terrible against women. They're terrible against anyone who really goes against the rules and religion and the stuff that they follow when it comes to Islam. And one thing I'll just say, it's like Islam is like a massive religion. It just so happens that they follow a sect of it that they believe this is, you know, Sharia law and this is the way women should whatever. And like, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of folks will be like, well, this is what the Muslims do. And, you know, no, dude, that's what the fucking Taliban does. It would be the equivalent of like someone in the United States who is a Christian saying, hey, I don't think you should get in a fucking abortion and you have no right to do that. And by the way, you're gay. You don't have a right to get married. And by the way, you shouldn't be allowed to do this and you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And then that represents all of Christians. That's not the case. It's kind of the same thing with the Taliban, you know, and then it's just like they're also violent too. look extremists are extremists. This is just a very, very organized group of extremists who are very good at business, too. And um, now you have tens of thousands of people trying to get the fuck out of the country. And now when you have that, 
you have a whole collapse of of a system from a standpoint of like where are these people going to go so you have border issues everyone's trying to take their money out of the banks you have banks running out of cash because atms are like dried up because everyone's trying to get their money and run you have a currency that's going to start collapsing obviously the supply of goods have gone down demand has gone up inflation goes up prices go up and then you have folks that are just trying to get out of the country including U.S. citizens that need to get out. And so I think the criticism around you know the Biden administration was that, was there a better plan to get out? That That's unclear. Like, that's a tough one because who knows? No matter what, this is going to be a shitty situation. The issue is more like people looking at it from, well, of course, you don't want to risk more U.S. soldiers' lives because like those are lives too. They can't just be seen as like, well, we should sacrifice u.s soldiers to get people out so there's that but then there's also like well, what about all these refugees like we've kind of created this vacuum aren't we responsible for these folks well at the end of the day yeah like yes i mean i think so i think that there is a humanitarian crisis we can't just look at everything in terms of like tax dollars and and, and numbers and stuff like these are human beings and we have to do something about that i think the u.s at this point has said they've evacuated over seventy thousand people which is insane in 10 days, like 70,000 people have been evacuated. You know, everyone's like, who's going to take these refugees in? I think there's some interesting things happening from the nonprofit and private side. Obviously, Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, announced this week that 20,000 Airbnbs are going to be open to uh, Afghan refugees, which is, you know, hey, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I don't give a shit if people think it's a PR thing or not. That's cool. More of that better. And I think those set good examples of what can be seen on the nonprofit side and the for-profit side, like the private sector. It's got to be like a a group effort. It's a tough one. And we're going to have to watch this thing over the next several weeks to see, you know, at the end of the day for the Biden administration, the last thing they need is any U.S. folks dying. They can't have any U.S. citizens dying or not being able to get out or any loss of lives. Like there's a big magnifying glass on this guy and i think people are going to watch whether the taliban does get violent because right now they're saying hey no 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 we just want you guys out but who knows man how do you fucking you can't trust these guys they're drug dealers you can't trust a fucking drug dealer i think it's also the media like who do you trust in the media right now because you have one side that is just wants to shit on biden you have another side that wants to just support biden it's all over the place it's like where is the real news coming from and then of course on the ground it's terrible for so many folks who are down there and they're trying to get out and they can't get out and i was actually just even reading something about not to bring up the cryptocurrency stuff but this is exactly where folks think about uh, a situation like bitcoin where they say this is where your use case of store of value works because it can't be seized and it can't be taken from you provided that you have your code. And so I was reading a few stories of folks that like had tried to convert their currency into Bitcoin or like send it to friends in Dubai or whatever the case, just so if they got out, at least they had some money when they got out. And yeah, that is actually one of the use cases. And um, all the headline news around crypto and stuff, a lot of times it's just, it's annoying. Like, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing how rich people are fucking getting, to be honest, and hearing all this NFT shit of this and that. But at the end of the day, these use cases are helping people in places like Lebanon and Afghanistan. And hopefully these are examples of like, yeah, this was better than them holding their local currency in cash that just evaporated or was seized from them. 
So we're going to have to monitor the situation. I think it's important that everyone follows it because now we have social media. We have all this stuff. There's no hiding away from information around this stuff. Like the narrative is all over the place. But the one thing we can see is that there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are in a dire situation here. And, you know, the, the Taliban wants to close borders and you can't get the fuck out of there. They don't want you to get out. Like that is some scary ass shit. Imagine like 20 years, these guys are not really around. You get the U.S. and suddenly the U.S. leaves and they just like peek around the corner and they're like, hey. And there's like so many more of them. And they're like, oh, my God, look, look at all these beautiful tanks and everything that's been left for us. Like we're actually in a better situation now than we were in 20 years ago. What's going to be interesting is watching how the other groups like Al-Qaeda, the Caliphate, and how they monitor the situation. Because power vacuums are legit, man. We're going to see how they respond to it and then what happens there. So, yeah, this is far from over. And we'll see what happens. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Make sure that you're subscribed to the newsletter, thetalkmoney.com slash newsletter. Tune in next week.